All right, so today we've got Michael Jamieson joining us. He is the um, World European and Commonwealth medalist. He's also Olympic silver medalist uh, in the London 2012 Olympic Games. And in 2014, he was the Commonwealth Games ambassador. He's uh, now head coach of Naturi, Natari West, sorry, um, a swimming club down in London and uh, also owns his own swimming uh, scheme up in, in Glasgow. So, cheers, MJ. Thanks for joining us today. How are you? No, thanks for having us. Yeah, long time I'll see you guys. I know, man. It's good to catch up. Yeah, definitely. How yeah. are you doing? How's uh, lockdown treating you? Yeah, um, no, I mean, I, th I think, to be honest, I've won a watch here. Um, I'm based down in London, but managed to get out to, to a friend's place in, in Somerset. Uh, they've got a pretty good uh, home gym. Um, a bit of countryside out the back as well, so I've been super lucky. Yeah, Somerset's a beautiful place, so yeah, plenty of nature, some walks and stuff like that. Yeah, looked out really. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> nice so, one. So, sorry, well, I was going to say, so how's it affected like training for your guys at Atari West at the moment and, and things? Yeah, um, pretty, pretty difficult period, I guess. And, you know, we, we spoke earlier, swimming is it's a pretty unique sport, isn't it? So it's it's a bit of a challenge to uh, to sort of mimic the, the same sort of physiological effect you get from being in the pool. But um, to be honest, we 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 done. I think we done we done a decent job of it initially. You know, the first week in, into lockdown, we we managed to uh, launch some some cardio kit uh, from from the school we're based at. So each one of our sort of more senior level kids um, was given a bit of an equipment list. Uh, they managed to get a watt bike, a rowing machine, some kettlebells, dumbbells and resistance bands and things like that. So, you know, based off that, we were able to sort of build in a, a fairly normal or as close to as we could uh, training week. Um, and we've just added in some, uh, so, some extra sort of extracurricular uh, training like yoga, um, you know, so some mobility flows as well, and um, yeah, we're just sort of making the best of it. I think with the age group we have, sort of early to mid teens, um, it's a really challenging time for for that age group. You know, coming up to exam periods, um, you know, potentially university access and things. It's you know a pretty stressful time. Uh, so I think initially those first few weeks was the messaging was look. Let's, let's take our time to adapt to um, current situation, you know, new training environment, new training plan, um, you know, and have that, a real open open communication and, and just keep in touch with the coaches and teammates. And um, I think initially if we got through a, a week without uh, without some tears shed, I think we, we were doing pretty well. So <laughs> yeah, definitely feeling for, for kids of that age group just now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, are you keeping in touch? Are you having like, I know some clubs are doing sort of Zoom meetings between their squads and things like that. Are you doing anything like that? Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're sort of checking in a few times a week, just going over um, going over the weekly outline in terms of training sessions. You know, the kids have all got their, their sort of heart rate belts and, and Bluetooth monitors. So they're sort of sending in their, their session data to us. Um, and then we're going back during the week with with a little bit of feedback on that. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I I think we we've tried to sort of keep a, a bit of a human element in there as well. You know, I think a couple of the kids were understandably really struggling with motivation and adapting, certainly initially. Um, so we were just focusing on, you know, what what are the sort of triggers for for those types of moods and those types of behaviours, and um, you know, how can we get on top of them slightly earlier you know, maybe try and prevent them or shorten those periods um, and just bring, you know, use it as a, a window of sort of self-empowerment, I guess, and, and trying to take charge of your own sort of training routine and just keep them fairly relaxed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's obviously nothing that, as a coach now, you've obviously come from your own swimming background, but you would never have experienced anything quite like this as a swimmer to sort of be able to carry that experience into your coaching. So totally new for everyone and yeah just kind of doing what needs must for your squad and how that works best isn't it really yeah it sounds like you guys have got quite a lot uh, of equipment and 
technical stuff. Like, we, I mean, we didn't have any heart rate monitors. Like I was saying to you before, all I've got is a, a concrete slab and two bricks. <laughs> There's gym equipment at the minute. It's not exactly the most high tech. So if you've got uh, rowers and heart rate monitors and all that kind of game, that's, uh, that's pretty fortunate, really, uh, especially living in London. But I imagine that's where most of your athletes are based. They're not going to have probably many areas to get to to exercise outside and stuff. So pretty fortunate on that. Yeah, yeah I think, um, yeah, I think we, we just sort of made a call as, as a coaching team. Well, myself, Craig Gibbons, uh, John Watson as well. Um, we just sort of got together and we, we took a little bit of a gamble, to be honest. You know, we were, we were straight on Amazon you know, ordering the, the heart rate belts and feedback. Um, we got our kids to download a few different apps that could, you know, do guided mobility flows, you know, requested access to the school as early as possible. Um, and we, we just sort of tried to drive that a little bit, you know, creating waivers that we could lease some of the equipment and things. Um, and just, just basically, you know, fairly strongly suggested to the parents to, do whatever they could to get to the facility in order to pick up what they could because, you know, at the time we, we didn't know, obviously, and we still don't, um, you know, how long this period's going to last. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, looking back now, I think it was, you know, a, a good decision to, to get, you know, as organised as we could early on. Um, I think now, what are we, sort of week nine of, of this sort of lockdown period? Um, I think there's naturally going to be peaks and troughs and motivation and application for, for young athletes just now. So, you know, I think in terms of sourcing equipment, that's, you know, that's hopefully going to help those, those bits. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I would say so. I think it's going to be peaks and troughs for athletes at any age, not just um, younger guys developing yeah. right at the top. Exactly the same. I mean, the guys that were trying to aim to make the Olympics this time, like that must be... Um, yeah, the idea of trying to train now where it's indefinite, you don't know when and if you can get back to the pools, that motivation is going to be hard to train at home, uh, especially, like I said, for swimmers where you can't even get, get in your own environment. Um, like, like, let's use that as a bit of a seamless segue to go back to uh, some of your uh, athlete, uh, your athlete journey kind of thing. So, like, looking at the Olympic cycles, like if we take it back to 2008, both Amy and myself, and you were the same as us. Like we, we all missed um, qualifying for those Beijing Olympics, which um, wasn't wasn't a great deal of fun from my own personal experience. But then the same for you, you as with us. Four years later, we all managed to qualify for for 2012. Um, fortunately for you, you kind of went on and had like the meat of your life, <laughs> and um, PB'd every broke the British record and PB'd every single round. Can you talk to us a little bit about sort of like, yeah, those four years leading into to the 2012 Games? Like, what was the difference from Beijing into London? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Beijing, I was, I was sort of 20 there, 19, sorry, uh, Beijing trials. So, um, you know, certainly from my end, what probably wasn't in the same boat as... As you guys, you know, I think you were sort of esteemed performance by, by that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly didn't expect to, to to qualify that year. You know, we had um, James Curtin, Chris Gilchrist and the 200 breaststroke. You know, both those guys were sort of top eight in the world at the time. And, um, you know, I was just coming out of a, a fairly um, volume-heavy training programme. Um, you know, I think it was about 75 kilos and built like the side of a 10-pound knot. So I, I didn't really think of myself as Olympic calibre at that stage. Um, but I do remember it being a bit of a breakthrough event. You know, sizable PBs, I think. Um, I think it was third or, third or fourth in, in the breaststroke and in the 200 medley or something at the time. And you know, that, that, sort of, that sort of gave me a lot of motivation and, and self-belief that the programme I was doing, the journey I was on, was, um, we were on the right track, really. Um, I think a year after that, made, made a pretty big decision to, to leave my, my then coach, Fred Renew, um, and move to the University of Bath with, with Dave McNulty. Um, and I think for me, the, the main... The main reason behind that switch was I needed to get bigger, I needed to get stronger, 
improve the 100 breaststroke in order to improve the first half of the 200. Um, and, and I was miles off at the time, you know, so I needed to, I needed to make pretty sizable jumps in order to, to be in the frame for, for London. Yeah. I mean, you, um, well, from what I know and from what I've, I've been told, you were very into kind of like every intricate detail of your training programme, um, you know, whether it be nutrition or, um, you know, you, like your S&C or training rep speeds that you go in and stroke rates and all sorts of things. And you would do a lot of research into that kind of stuff yourself. Did did that change? Did that increase going from 2008 to 2012? Was that something that kind of helped you make a change, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I, you know, I think those four years, I really made the transition psychologically from being, you know, someone who wanted to be, you know, at sort of Olympic level to, to really believing and acting like I was. Um, and I think I was... You know, I was very aware of the areas I needed to improve on, um, and you know, became pretty analytical of of those areas. You know, sometimes too much so. Um, <laughs> as you guys know, it's it becomes quite difficult with the amount of training and volume and number of sessions you're doing. That you know, it, it sort of it's an all-encompassing sport, isn't it? It sort of takes over your life, and um, yeah, important to sort of maintain that separation, but. We, you know, we we sort of built a plan, and I, I remember, you know, Dave McNulty when when we first met, and you know, I had a whole booklet of notes before before I joined Bath. And I sort of sat down and said, look, these these are all the areas I need to improve on if if we want to be on the podium in London. Um, and he said to me afterwards, <laughs> you know, he couldn't believe that it was almost like I was interviewing him. For to be a part of the group, so things had sort of switched the other way around. But um, now nah, really, really lucky to you know have Joe and Dave and a whole host of other and my sort of team as teammates and support network there to sort of hold you accountable to those improvements that needed to be made. Yeah, that's cool, man. Well, it obviously worked out well. Yeah. Like, yeah, you had me. Um, yeah, what was it like to like just? I don't know, to be on that level of form where you knew literally every race you went out for every round, you were getting faster and faster and faster. Uh, it must have been pretty good. And you were, you were like so close to uh, Goethe as well to actually, you know, to winning the whole thing. It was pretty incredible to watch. Yes. Um, I mean, look, looking back on it now, you, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys will have similar reflections. You look back on your career and there's, there's probably only you know, a couple of meets, if you're lucky, where, where you just know things have clicked. Yeah. Um, and, you know, luckily for me, it was it, it was at the Games. I think uh, I, I sort of knew before going into it that on the one hand, whatever result, you know, I got, whether that was heat, semi-final, final, podium, whatever it was, that was, that was going to be my level because... Um, you know, I honestly could have said beforehand I'd, I'd, I'd done everything that I could have to to sort of control what I was in charge of. Um, and I think for that reason, I felt super relaxed. Um, you know, I didn't really have the sort of negative connotations you sometimes come across with nerves. I only had this sort of excitement value of it. Um and and I think you know during during the meet itself, uh, the you know the first event was the hundred breaststroke, uh, and in the heats I was in one of the outside lanes. It was a you know pretty sizable PB for me. It was first time under sixty, and you know without doubt that was the biggest celebration of the week. Uh, you know after touching the wall and seeing the time, that was like just the the relief of knowing that I was there. I was in the shape of my life, um, and I think that really just. So it helped me build some, some, you know, that last little portion of self belief that I needed going into into the two hundred. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you know through each of the rounds, uh, you know, we had a very clear plan with with Dave, my coach, and we wanted to be in the middle lanes every round. Um, so, you know, I think after the heats and uh, qualified, I think I was through second, maybe through to the semi-finals so I had a middle lane for the evening um, you know and coming out here in that crowd was like 
absolutely incredible. So I sort of tried to ride the wave of that a little bit to, to make the improvement. And you know, going into the final was exactly where I wanted to be, was outside Daniel Gierter, the eventual winner, who was a much stronger 100 breaststroke swimmer than me. Um, and, you know, that whole four-year period, you know, going back to 2008, that whole period was about um, getting out on that first 100 as fast as possible with an element of control so I can sort of use my strength that, that second half of the race well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just I just remember sort of being in the call room before the final and just not, you know, I just couldn't stop smiling because I was like, this is literally it. You know, we've, we've trained for 10 years for this. So, you know, just enjoy it. If you get DQ'd, you get DQ'd. If you fall in, whatever, we've, we've made it this far. So, um. Yeah, I mean, just, I guess the the older you get as well, these, these sort of memories appreciate and value, don't they? I mean, I was pretty quick to put the Olympics to bed afterwards and get back in the water and back to training. But, you know, I think that's an observation I would make if I could turn the clock back. I'd have, I'd have taken a bit more time to sort of enjoy that journey a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Is it, Um, I've, I've heard a story as well, and, Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it is it true or not that when you were sort of a teenager, you kind of um, you worked out what time you believed it would take to win an Olympic medal in 2012, and rather than have that as one huge outcome goal, you actually broke it right down and worked out how much essentially you'd need to knock off each training session or each week, or you know, to actually make it bite-sized pieces. Is that is that right? Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, and um, after watching the games in 2004, after watching the games in Athens, um, coach at the time sort of, I said, look, I want to put together a wee document on let's project the performance of, um, you know, look at the last 30, 40 years of, of Olympic Games results and, and the majors in between that, work out the average progression uh, and get a target time for it. Um, and I'm sure if my memory serves me right, I'm sure we had bronze was going to be 286 um, and Japanese swimmer won it in, in 208.2. So I think at the time I set that, I must have been swimming 227, 228 for 200 rest. So it was literally miles off of it. Um, That's and yeah, and, and again, yeah. Um, but again, no, it's, it's a good point because I think, you know, you mentioned earlier that sort of journey between 2008 and 12, you know, that, that was a big turning point because, you know, I, I sort of got stuck as a, as a mid to late teenager, 16 to 19. I didn't improve so much. Beijing Olympic trials, I, I made a huge jump in my PV and that sort of just about brought us, brought us back onto the curve that I needed to be on. So, I mean, that's pretty awesome. It's a lot of um, good foresight, that, like Amy yeah. said, to uh, pr pretty geeky as well, mate, i got to say. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked. But, like, what, what was it like in those periods where you predicted the curve, you predicted what the times need to be, so where you need to be improving, how are you going to get close to that time? And if you have a couple of years where you're getting further away from that target time you've got, you even if you're getting a little bit faster, you can feel that target time's getting further away almost. Like, how do, you, how do you get through that bit to get back to that 2008 confidence boost? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult for sure. That's, um, you know, I guess, you know, those types of questions are slightly million dollar question really, isn't it? If, you can, if you're able to control that journey, then, you know, you, you, you want to watch. And I, and I think, I think experience does does help, like acknowledgement of the actual process you're going through of sort of hitting your head against a brick wall for a period. But it's um, you know for, for for me, I think it was it was a sort of you know maybe a little bit of a sort of deeper self belief that okay, I'm not where I want to be right now, but it doesn't mean that the the weekly content I'm doing. Just because I'm not seeing the result and the, the tapered meat, it doesn't mean that I'm not changing physiologically because I have to be because I'm because I'm there because I'm training because I'm doing the work. Um, so I think I, I sort of relied a lot on that, you know, trying to take a, a bit of a logical approach to it and thinking that 
there is no way that I've been training for two full seasons and I'm not a better athlete. I know I am. I just haven't I just haven't sort of seen the results yet. I just don't have it in my hand. Yeah. Um but I mean in, in saying that, I you know, I know how, how difficult it is and you know, especially for, for young athletes, you know, everyone matures, develops, grows at different stages, different speeds and it's such a difficult thing to, to get across to to a young athlete, but um, you know, a, appreciation of your own process, your own journey, and, and 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 trying to use that as a bigger picture rather than you know this constant comparison to to stats, to numbers, to um, you know people around you. You know, yeah. it's sort of it's that commitment to your own personal journey. You know, control the things that you you can be in charge of. You can take charge of certain elements of your career and if you know you're improving them over time and the results will come you know they, they have to they just they just do yeah no i think that's a really nice point for a lot of people to take away because I, I, everyone's going to struggle with that at some point everyone's going to have that plateau mm. sure and i mean mm. i think that's where coach athlete relationship comes in quite a lot as well because you have to have that belief and trust in your coach and what they're doing to get you through those times. So I think kind of, yeah, strengthening that relationship, however it works best for you, is really important. But, um, you know, obviously you've come out the other side of swimming now, you're kind of, you are coaching, you're doing lots of different th things, sorry. One thing that you have also done is some commentating. Um, coming to sort of 2016, not maybe the year that you wanted or kind of expected or hoped for, um, but you did go to Rio, but you were commentating on the 200 breaststroke final there. Um, admittedly, that's got to be pretty tough. Um, but how, how was it? How did you find that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, to be honest, initially I, I didn't want to go. Um, you know, I sort of said I, I didn't really want to be there. Um, you know, just I obviously knew at that time I, I wasn't going to continue in the sport competitively. Um, I think personally, I kind of knew I needed to to compete at the Olympic trials for for Rio in order to get that sort of closure. But I knew I wasn't I wasn't in shape to to make the team. Um, so yeah, I think sort of fast forward to the games. Um, I mean, looking back, I'm like so grateful that I, <coughs> that I chose to go. Um, you know, I just, I you know decided at a few days' notice that I was going to do it. Um, I was going to go out there, uh, manage to, you know, get some work with the BBC, doing some commentating. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, like we'll come on to <coughs> come on to the race there. But I remember one of the first nights I was there. Um, I think the BBC were a couple of commentators down, and they asked if someone could do a live down the line uh, preview of the first night of the finals. Uh, and I was thinking, I can't go on then. I'll do it. <laughs> so I was, standing, I was standing outside of the pool in Rio, uh, previewing, pre previewing, um, you know, the the finals for for that night, and the the basketball arena was just behind us, and I think it was Argentina against I, I want to say Uruguay. It was like a sort of derby, um, and all the Argentine fans came out behind me just as we went on air. So I was getting instructions through the earpiece in my ear, which I couldn't hear because all these guys behind me were, you know, jumping around, singing, dancing with beers and things. So that was my sort of first experience live down the line on the BBC. I was thinking, you have got to be kidding me on. <laughs> Throwing so, Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, the, you know, commentating on the two on the breast was... Um, it was a little bit surreal, to be honest. Um, you know, sort of standing, standing above the the start line. Um, it was a wee bit emotional actually, because you know, obviously I would have wanted to be there. You know, I really wanted to be there. I think at that time I was still struggling to come to terms with the fact that, you know, I wasn't going to be competing anymore. Um, you know, one of my long-time uh, teammates and, and one of Joe's teammates, Andrew Willis, was obviously in in the final as well. Um, and 
yeah, just sort of remember going into autopilot and sort of describing the race, being aware of the splits and very aware of, you know, who to watch for over certain parts. And I was, it ended up as a, as a real sort of blanket finish. The last 25, it was, you know, it was, um, everyone was in a dead line across the pool. Um, and then, you know, Andrew, unfortunately, just was touched out for that bronze medal, you know, so I remember being absolutely gutted for him and, you know, looking at the time as well, that I think the winner was 207.4, it was a few 100s slower than, you know, what had been before. And of course, you know, that's sport and, you, and you've got to do it when it counts, but, you know, it was pretty tough to sort of process all that in a five-minute period, you know, you're watching these guys come out. Some, you know, someone's just won an Olympic title, someone's won an Olympic bronze medal and, you know, you're trying to commentate on that at the same time thinking, oh, I really wish I was involved in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, in, but in hindsight, um, you know, that, that was a nice bit of closure. It was a nice opportunity as well professionally to be involved in, in that side of it. And um, yeah, looking back, I'm, I'm glad I was there. Yeah, that's cool that it gave you a bit of closure though. I was yeah. wondering, it's either going to hurt or, or injure, isn't it? Kind of thing. <laughs> Must be yeah. hard while you're doing it not to like, have any bitterness come across <laughs> your commentary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could have gone off on a tangent now. These guys are out in 1025, that's rubbish. I could do much better than that. Or, but nah, um, nah, really, really grateful to be there. It was a really cool opportunity. and. Um, yeah, again, it was it was quite tough to watch, you know, as um, not just personally, but seeing your teammates sort of train all those years and put in the graft as well, and to come so close, it's it's what makes sport so appealing, doesn't it? It's what makes us love it, but it's it's so tough to watch at times. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and I mean, like you said, it it was quite an emotional experience for you, as it would be for anyone, and kind of you, you know well, closed off your swimming career as an athlete um, and you've kind of found a bit of a passion for helping those uh, that struggle with mental health, kind of especially athletes coming out of sport and things like that. And you've actually done a TED talk as well <coughs> on that kind of topic. So, I mean, could you tell us a little bit about what got you into that side of stuff and how your TED talk went as well? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think for a long time I was always sort of aware that... Um, of, of sort of habitual behaviours and how your environment shapes the way you behave and then sort of recognising patterns in your own behaviour. And that can be something as simple as, um, you know, I'm, I'm grumpy on the days I don't get a good night's sleep. You know, it can be as complex or as simple as, as you want to make it. Um, and I think for, for a long time, you know, going back to sort of 2008 time, you know, I was living and training in Paris, there on my own. You know, not at the standard I want to be, not not a funded athlete, and you know some some challenges and things going on there psycho psychologically. But um, yeah, I think I, I just sort of acknowledged that there were there were times in my career where I sort of allowed my performance as an athlete to completely overlap my sort of identity just as a person, um, and and I think. That's something that you know we all have to to be aware of, but particularly in sport because it's only natural that you sort of tie those two things together. Um, and if and if you're not sort of proactive and, and recognizing those patterns and and committing to a sort of you know almost psychological fitness regime in, in the same way you would train in the pool, then you know there are some potential pitfalls there. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the TED Talk was, was an amazing opportunity. Again, it was, you know, I guess it was sort of a, an end goal of mine in terms of, you know, sort of talking about, you know, various mental health aspects and within sport, you know, my own journey through sport, you know, how it ended. Um, and I think just, you know, because of the background of, of the results in London, I had a few really cool opportunities to sort of share that and talk about it. And I just found that over time, I was, it was almost like a, a, a sort of version of therapy for myself, you know, speaking about it and you begin to make slightly different connections and you recognise points of learning and points where you maybe should have recognised something and didn't. 
so I was sort of going through that process as well as I was doing as I was doing these events and yeah the TED talk was sort of the end goal to, to all of that so it came at the right time as well so a lot of the stories were were getting fairly dated given my age now so it was good to get that done. <laughs> <laughs> you did a really good job of that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Really, good. Really, really, really impressive. Oh, thank you. Yeah, nobody's seen it. Go out and watch it. Find it on YouTube. <laughs> Where did they film it? Um, so that was in that was in Glasgow. Um, okay. So I think that the sort of TED events they sometimes partner up with um, you know universities and things to host to host their events and speakers. So. Um, yeah, things sort of came together on that, but certainly some stuff that's relatable for, for young athletes in terms of, you know, managing what are nowadays pretty pretty strenuous routines, aren't they? We see so many kids now trying to balance sport with academic pressures and, you know, potential, you know, their social life, any extracurricular things they do on the side. It's a super, super busy schedule. Um, it's really difficult to manage, you know, sort of seeing that side of it now as a coach. Um, so yeah, sort of trying to trying to trying to steer these guys to to make some uh, potentially on some front some some better decisions than I did. Yeah. So how, I mean, how do you get that into your young athletes? Because hindsight's always twenty twenty, isn't it? Uh, for anybody and for athletes, you always look back at your career. You could change this and that, like you say, you take more time to celebrate London, the simple things like that. How do you how do you get that into your athletes to like I know again, million dollar questions so that they save themselves a bit of that hot ache, hot ache or you know I guess they're a little bit different, aren't they? Yeah, everyone's a little bit different as well. So like how do you and Craig uh, try and put that holistic approach into you guys? Yeah, um so I think I think one of the one of the advantages we have is that we're we're a pretty small team. Um, so, so we have got you know, potentially a bit more time per athlete to sort of, you know, build that rapport. You know, get to know the individual. Um, yeah. You know, as opposed to, to the athlete potentially. Um, so I think it, it does start with with a real intention to to get to know the individual and and to to learn a bit about you know their psychological patterns and behavior patterns that they might show at training you know and, and again that could be as simple as you, you you know you can you can acknowledge when they've had a particularly stressful day at school or if they're under a bit of pressure academically um so i think we sort of tried to set that out early doors and just said to to, to the kids fairly openly that we, you know we did really want to get to know them we didn't want to just be um some coaches that they come in, goggles on, jump in, you know, get the session done and out. We wanted to really commit to, to being a team and building some, um, you know, building some some positive culture there. So, you know, we set some ground rules on how the kids interact with the coaches and with their teammates, you know, just in terms of conversation and, and uh, checking in with people, asking if they're okay. If not, why not? Is there anything they can support on? Um, and then a bit wider than that, we're sort of being implementing some like education workshops um, and an introduction to, to mindfulness um, and breath work. So I think initially um, trying to sell that to the kids was, was quite challenging. Because <laughs> um, I think this idea of, um, we, we actually sort of relabeled it as breath work. I think if you use the word meditation, people still tend to, to run away a little bit at times. So. Right. Um, but but that in itself has been has been a real learning journey for for me as well as a coach and, and how do you sort of how do you sort of um, sort of gently suggest these things? But um, our guys have, have really reacted super positively to it. You know, just building a few strategies on how to manage certain situations. You know, a few exercises that they can do on the phone. Um, as I mentioned in, in these workshops and um, you know learning how their breath can can control and impact their moods potentially um, and sort of trying to build a framework there we, you know we've done some yoga and uh, and looking to progress the, the breath work and mindfulness stuff so um, yes a, a, f a few different bits I mean I guess we, we're sort of still learning as well trying to implement it um, yeah. 
the next stage for us is to sort of is build a, a framework, you know, build a framework that sort of overlays with the, with the swim sort of physiological elements and, and we can sort of build a, a pathway like that. Yeah. Oh, right, that's, that's fantastic, mate. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's not your normal swimming programme. Normally, you, you do your pool sessions, you do your weight sessions, you do your eating, you do your sleeping and then you go race, that's all you've got. The sleep, swim. <laughs> <laughs> the sleep swim, that's all you've got, all you, all you needed, apparently. So, yeah, it's really, really sort of different stuff and it'd be, be interesting to see how your team develops over these next few years with these additional like ideas and stuff that you're implementing um how's it gone so far has it been like you said they responded quite well to certain things is it being reflected in performances straight away or is it going to be a bit of a longer strategy or a bit of both yeah i mean i, I think we can we can sort of see differences from the kids that we've had for the two and a half almost three seasons now um you know we, we can sort of tell the difference when um, we can spot differences in, in personnel if, if we have a new member or if we have someone that's maybe not been with us as long. Um, in terms of performance, that I, you know, I think we, you, know, you obviously believe in your own product. I think, and you know, we we do think is working. Um, I think as a as a sort of wider as a wider view, it is it is slightly different, a slightly different sort of sporting climate in London because. Just logistically, it's so difficult and time-consuming to, to get around the city. So, you know, you're you're under a little bit of pressure to sort of make every session, every thirty-minute window count. And it's, you know, it's it's um, I guess a little bit of an oxymoron. You're sort of trying to you're trying to teach mindfulness and and being a bit more present and controlling your mood and slowing down. But at the same time, you're sort of trying to get that balance of, of driving productivity and, and making the most of the time you have with them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a constant balance, but um, you know, I think, as I say, our, our next challenge is sort of putting this, putting this down as, as, as an effective framework that, that we can look to, to take to the next level and sort of overlay as, as a part of, of youth development. But um, yeah, so far we're, we're super happy with it. And um well, the kids seem to be responding pretty well and, and more importantly enjoying it and um, they're enjoying that sort of new aspect of training I think so yeah positive yeah. so far yeah brilliant I mean kind of like going back a little bit but I mean we've, we've talked a bit about kind of those coaching philosophies that you guys have down there and you have set this club up from scratch um, you know there's a lot of clubs that have been around for many many years but this one is brand new and you were part of that that setup initially so kind of how did it come about having Nataro West kind of as a new club where's the name come from yeah that's true <laughs> yeah um so the name the name was uh Craig Gibbons idea uh so he, he can take credit for that and <laughs> we initially we initially asked for or requested permission um to be called uh, Swim West London and then I think the second option was um, one of the pools were based at is in Hammersmith. Um, and it was, I think the feedback came back and Swim England said, we, we weren't allowed to have the word swim in the name. So the alternative they offered was the Hammersmith Penguins. <laughs> <laughs> Which was given a hard no. Um, <laughs> And then, yeah, it was from that, basically, Craig was looking at, um, you know, different um, varieties of the word swim, and Natari is Latin for swim. So it's effectively Swim West London, uh, <laughs> Natari West London. So, um, yeah, we, we were really happy with that. And then, I mean, Hammersmith Penguins just doesn't suit me at all. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that? But, um, <laughs> but no, I mean the the club. Um, I think at the time, at the time, you know, there, there's a couple of coaches in London that you know have been doing have been doing a really good job, and um, you know there there was some pool space available uh, in Hammersmith, um, and there there seemed to be an appetite for um, a, a few kids, a few age group kids to 
you know, potentially have a slightly different philosophy. Um, you know, I, I do really believe that the, the sort of youth sport climate in London is a slightly different kettle of fish and you have to sort of adapt and, and find a model to, to suit the, you know, to suit the population. And, um, How's it different? How do you mean? Well, I think, you know, we, we are sort of familiar with um, you know, probably fairly high volume uh, swim programs, you know, a lot of work on aerobic capacity. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure about you guys as, as, as young age groupers and teens, but I think when I was sort of 14 to 16, 17, you know, I was still up well above 60k a week. Um, I think, I think, <laughs> shake the head. <laughs> but um, yeah, we we wanted to try and we wanted to try and build a more individual model. You know, I think we sort of believe that you can build aerobic capacity if it's trained at the right level and the right intensity. So you know, our volumes are a lot lower than that. You know, we're around thirty-five, forty k. Which is still a fair, which is still a fair whack. It's, it's a lot to get through, but um, we only do seven sessions per week, so we only have seven hits in the water. Uh, so I think being able to have a weekday, um, you know, fully void of, of any training, we were really we really wanted to try and push the kids into using that day as um, you know something where they could they could have. Bit more of a social life, they could pursue a hobby, or if needs be, get caught up on on schoolwork and things. So, um, you know, that's one thing that's come back as as a real positive that you know parents and and family members are saying it's really helped that sort of um, family dynamic at home where the kids aren't coming back, you know, looking like a half shut knife and desperate to get fed and go to bed. There's maybe a wee bit more engagement there, and you know, a few have supported. Um, a few have said they've had you know, improving school results and things just for that extra day's rest. So, um, yeah, trying to, try to take a more holistic view on performance as well. And, you know, we, it's not just about some performance for us, but it's about, you know, how to perform and develop across the, across the whole, a whole host of, it, of areas. So we felt like there was a little bit of a market for that. And, and we only started with six or seven kids. Um, so we've sort of come a long way since then, building relationships with the school and um, you know with 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 local schools as well. Um, just sort of being visible in the area, being open to communicating, sharing ideas, you know, getting people in for sessions, you know, as as a coaching team delivering sessions elsewhere, and just generally try to be a sort of positive, be positive and be visible in the area and and try and build relations and you know hopefully build results that way yeah it's exciting stuff i mean i i do like that principle of um not your words but less garbage yardage um, <laughs> i've never found a garbage yardage just like you say you end up just treading through life like a zombie you're trying to do everything yeah and you end up doing everything to a lesser degree of your ability than what you could do and um, less quality yeah it's just yeah, I, I, I do agree with that. I think in the past, um, there's definitely been those opinions that, you know, more is better. And I think people are starting to come around to the fact that that's not necessarily the case now. So, um, yeah, I think starting that off with age groupers especially is a good way of implementing that and it transferring through into senior level, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and it's got to be enjoyable, hasn't it? And, and you know, you want to, if you're trying to promote you know more ownership to on the athletes perspective you you know you want them to be you want them to be chasing more you want them to say i want another session and i want to try and improve and, and open up some more some more doors so um yeah i think i yeah really believe in that and that sort of philosophy yeah don't get me wrong i'm not saying you haven't got to work hard but <laughs> in the right yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure to um ivan the other day i'm sure you remember ivan and, uh, yeah, and he was saying, yeah, I saw along the similar lines of the kids have got to, have got to want it, they've got to be happy in doing it, otherwise they're just going to resent it and end up with a bad relationship with their sport as much as anything else. So what would um, what would kids need to do? Can anybody just join you guys? Have you got a criteria, the standard? Like how, how do people get? <coughs> yeah, I think um, 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we've been fairly open, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of have a, have a chat with anyone, we'll allow anyone to, to come in and try it. Um, as I say, I think, I think we've been sort of um, limited a little bit just in terms of the pool time and availability we have. Um, you know, we didn't, we wanted to, I guess one of our, one of our biggest USPs is a, is a sort of more individualised approach. And I think if you're going to stick to that and really offer that, you need to maintain some, you know, some space and capacity in the pool. Um, so we were really conscious of that fact. Um, now, after after going for a few years, we, you know, we need to be a little bit more specific just in order to control the numbers within each age group. Um, and I think that will obviously enable us to to do a much better job of of the delivery of the of the coaching. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I think we're you know we're we're more than happy to sort of um, have a chat to people and invite invite people in, you know, give advice and things like that. Um, and yeah, if, I think it has to be a good fit on both sides, doesn't it? You know, as you mentioned, Joe, it's got to be you know, the swimmers. The swimmers have got to want it, you know, and and you want to see a little bit of ownership there and a little bit of drive from from their side in terms of, you know, they they want to improve because. Again, Amy, you mentioned that it's it's a tough sport, isn't it? You you really have to be willing to to graft if if you want results. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, bringing it kind of back to another of your passions, you believe that right back to square one, learning to swim is really important. And you also, like Joe mentioned in the intro at the start, you've uh, got your own swim academy back up in. It's in Glasgow, isn't it, or is it across Scotland? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's in Glasgow. Um, yeah, so we've been going just over two years now. Um, we've got we've got three venues in Glasgow. We're all looking to get uh, one in London launched in September, which is which is pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, I think that I think the same philosophy sort of filters through to that. Um, you know, one of the things we've sort of pushed there is uh, all of our staff are trained in mental health first aid and got a lot of other you know sort of extracurricular um, qualifications in terms of childcare and things like that Um, where we really wanted to again create a more individualized approach to learn to swim so we've got smaller ratios and and the real non-swimmer the real beginner classes Um, so smaller ratios there obviously a bit more uh, time with the instructor, a bit more of an opportunity to <clears throat> to sort of build a rapport and a relationship with them, and um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty exciting. I think it's uh, I think it was a sort of natural transition for me out of sport into into business, and um, yeah, we're, we're you know it's it's going really well so far. We've got we're just over eight hundred kids a week coming in. Um, with a new site coming online towards the end of the year, so um, it's definitely keeping me busy. <laughs> yeah, especially with you living in London, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's great that you've uh, sort of given back to the sport so much because I know, like you saw mentioned before, you, you did struggle after leaving the sport, and it could easily have gone that you got resentful and just walked away. Doesn't you know? Took took off into being successful in something else in different business, but to have come back into swimming and like put all that knowledge back in, right down to the bottom, and then uh, with with your own like guys age group and into senior, like uh, it's a really good position. I feel like you, you've you've influ- you're going to influence quite a lot of people there. So it's good that you're still within the sport. Like, I'm quite grateful for that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> have, you any, have you got any new ventures? To, to show us or tell us about? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, so we're, uh, yeah, one, one or two others that I'm sort of working on just now looking at, um, we actually got pretty lucky with the timing. We, we were in Glasgow uh, just before start of March, really before the, the virus sort of took control and um, looking at sites there to open a little sort of boutique fitness concept. Um, Again, with a little bit of a view on, on mindfulness there, looking at um, yoga and meditation classes and then a sort of signature fitness class, um, sort of hit and circuit training. So, um, yeah, I think I think 
I think it, it was great for me to, to get a head start in business and and, and swim. Um, and it's really cool still to be involved in, in the sport. Um, and I think just sort of personally, I want to try and, you know, branch out a little bit more and sort of challenge myself in, in a few other areas there. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been a super busy couple of years, but, you know, really grateful for the opportunities I've, I've got. And, um, yeah, again, like, pretty grateful still to, to be involved in sport and, and to be working with a really good group of young kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think they're lucky to be working with you guys as well. So, um, yeah, like we say, it's good that you're giving back to the sport because, uh, you know, you know, coming out of the sport can be tough sometimes. So it's great to see. And you're obviously going to be helping a lot of people and looking at things in maybe a slightly different way as well, which is always good. It's got, we've got to be open to new ideas, new things. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, man, that's fantastic. Cheers for uh, coming on tonight and telling us all about what you're up to. And, uh, yeah, wish you all the best for the future with everything. Yeah, thank you, MJ. No, thank you. It's good to catch up with you guys again. Doing a great job as well with SwimSwift, so congratulations to you guys as well. Thanks very much, mate. Come back anytime. Right. All right. Take care, guys. Cheers.